We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, the topic is more Q&A, more questions, and more answers. And today's question is this, does everyone have a conscience, whether you're Christian or not? And if so, why do some people exhibit bad behavior? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you for listening to the show. I'm going to further the Q&A series that I've been doing for the last week or so on today's show. And today's topic, as I said in the introduction, is does everyone have a conscience? When our culture or even an individual exhibits righteous indignation, for example, is there something there, an objective standard of rightness, of righteousness, that leads us to be indignant when that standard is compromised. If you stumble across somebody who's righteously indignant, I think the rhetorical question would be, is there a standard of rightness, of righteousness? Is there a universal conscience that's been compromised here that causes you to be concerned? If so, great, let's talk about where that comes from. If not, if you're arguing that there is no universal standard, that we really don't have anything but a social construct that is the basis for our conscience, then is there any basis for being indignant? Because really you're arguing against the arbitrary rather than arguing for an absolute. You're basically just saying, I think our cultural power should trump those that disagree with us. So that's today's show. Let's take a break, and when I get back, I'll review this question, and then I'll give you my answer. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one year maintenance, and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community 
and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So, today's question. And this is from a dialogue that I had, oh, a few years ago in a classroom exchange regarding the issue uh, that there is a God, and my argument was your indignation or your anger proves it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that again. You could title today's show, There is a God, and your anger and indignation and the realization or your argument against bad behavior proves it. So this is, this is an example of an exchange that took place in a classroom. And it's a good exchange. I'm not belittling the person that asks the question at all. No, we should all ask the same question, and we should all be honest enough to listen to the various different answers. Here's the exact question that I received. When I try to understand something, I always seek more information, and I consequently ask lots of questions. So here goes. Is there a difference between righteous indignation and conscience? And does one have this indignation only after becoming a Christian, or does everyone have it? If everyone possesses it, a conscience, why does anyone exhibit bad behavior? Close quote. I want you to listen to the question one more time. When I try to understand something, I always seek more information and consequently ask lots of questions. So here goes. Is there a difference between righteous indignation and conscience? Does one have this indignation only after becoming a Christian, or does everyone have it? If everyone possesses it, why does anyone exhibit bad behavior? Close quote. That's the question. Well, I'm going to give you my answer here, so buckle up. Here we go. First, the best way, the best way for me to stay on task is to cite your questions one by one and then try to do my best to respond. Now, I think that's critical. When we're responding to people that are trying to be fair and ask us good questions, or even those that are being acerbic and trying to trap us. If they ask us more than one question at a time, under the guise that it is one, but really it's several, stop, take a breath, and say, well, let's answer your questions one by one, because you really asked me more than one. You didn't just ask me one singular, simple question. So I'm going to break down this person's question into several different categories. The first one, I'll quote the person. Is there a difference between righteous indignation and a conscience? Okay, let's just deal with that. Well, the answer, in my opinion, is yes. For me, and I think for the historians, uh, theological historians, for theologians from the early apostles, the Apostle Paul, for example, to Augustine and Aquinas, and then on through the course of history when you come up into modern times, and that is C.S. Lewis and even G.K. Chesterton, Chuck Colson, and others that are among us right now, is that the conscience is that part of a man that understands right from wrong. It's our, it's our moral IQ, if you will. It is by virtue of my conscience that I know and I understand there is an absolute moral code. Indignation represents my reaction to this code or rule being broken. So I think there's a difference between indignation, and conscience. The conscience is your moral IQ that is given to you by God. All of us understand because the truth of God is written on every human heart. The Apostle Paul tells us that. So whether you're Christian or not, you have a conscience. The truth of God is written on your heart. 
every person understands, and C.S. Lewis makes this argument in Mere Christianity, every, every person, every child understands that there is a, there's, there's a code out there. And if that code is broken, you're indignant about it. And there's a difference between the code and your indignation. For example, Lewis says that children get upset when somebody cuts in line or when somebody else steals their orange. He uses that as an example. You, you protest. You say, hey, that's my orange. Or, hey, that's unfair. You cut in line. That's your conscience. That's the truth of God written on every human heart. And it's by virtue of my conscience that I know and understand there's an absolute rule here or code here that's been broken. It's wrong to cut in line. It's wrong to steal somebody else's food. It's wrong to lie. It's wrong to steal. It's wrong to bear false witness. We, we generally know that it's wrong to gossip because we get ticked off when people gossip about us. Um, we know that rape is wrong. We know the Holocaust wasn't good. And we know that antebellum slavery was, was evil. We know these things. This is your conscience. So my conscience tells me that truth exists. Truth with a capital T. Indignation is my reaction when somebody lies to me. So I know that truth exists. That's my conscience. I'm indignant when somebody violates that truth and lies to me. My conscience tells me that animals should be treated humanely, for example. I'm indignant and righteously indignant when I see my neighbor beating his dog. My conscience tells me that it's wrong to steal. I'm indignant when somebody takes things from my office, my desk, my house without asking, and so on and so forth. You get my point here. The conscience is the law of God. Common sense, sense that's common, natural law, that's imprinted on every human heart. Indignation is when you see that law being violated, and most often it's because you're the victim here, and somebody else is compromising those truths that your conscience tells you exist. So that's my answer to the first one. Is there a difference between righteous indignation and conscience? Yes, I say yes, and I just give you my reasons why. Okay, number two. Does everyone possess a conscience? And if so, how is it developed? Does one have this indignation only after becoming a Christian, or does everyone have it? That was the second part of this person's question. Well, I've kind of already hinted at this. There's undeniable evidence that the answer is yes, everyone does have a conscience. Again, in mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis tells us how this fact was one of the things that led him to become um he moved from atheism to become an agnostic, to become a, uh, a deist, a theist, and then a, a Christian. His movement along this continuum of no belief, or at least he claimed he didn't have any belief as an atheist, to an ultimate apologist and defender of the Christian faith was this reality that everyone does have a conscience. Um, he, he, he talks about, Lewis talks about, how this belief in a conscience actually led him to belief in God. When he looked out at various different cultures that spanned the course of human history, he, he couldn't avoid the evidence of a common moral code that crossed the boundaries of time and geography and race and gender and even religion. Yeah, there were some very modest anthropological differences, Lewis would say, in some moral codes. But people, by and large, shared a common moral assumption from tribe to tribe, from age to age, from culture to culture, continent to continent. Everyone seemed to also have a common reaction of indignation, and let's just call it what it is, anger, 
when these codes were violated. And this fact goes back to the very beginning of recorded history. If you go back to the book of Genesis in the Bible, this book, the oldest of books, this book called Genesis, tells us that what distinguishes you and me, mankind, human beings, from the rest of God's creation is that God breathed the breath of life in each of us, all of us, human beings, and thereby he created man in his own image. I've talked about this a thousand times on this show. You're created Imago Dei in the image of God. And I've said you're the Imago Dei. You're not the Imago Dog. Why do I say that? I'm playing with this turn of words, this phrase, to try to point out the fact that you're different than the animal. You have the image of God imprinted on your heart, mind, and soul. That's why you're listening to me right now and agreeing or disagreeing. Your dog doesn't care what I'm saying right now. You're the Imago Dei. You're not the Imago dog. You're the image of God. You're not the image of the animal. There's a difference. So is it possible that this breath of life that's talked about in Genesis, this image of God, this Imago Dei, is indeed moral awareness? Maybe it's this conscience that he didn't breathe into a tree or a rock or a cow, but God did in fact breathe this conscience this moral awareness, moral assumption, moral acknowledgement, and moral culpability into men and women, into human beings, into the image of God, the Imago Dei. Does that make sense? I think you can conclude that very rationally from reading the Bible. Now, fast forward out of the Old Testament, and you have the book of Romans, Paul's letter, his epistle, to the early Christian church in Rome. And in Romans 1, and two, the first two chapters of this epistle, as we understand it today. By the way, when it was originally written, it wasn't broken down into chapters and verses. We've done that later on so that it's easy for us to find a particular citation that we want to discuss. That's why the entire epistle should be read as a whole and then go back and start trying to digest various different parts of it. And if I want to cite those various parts of that particular epistle, that passage of Scripture, our forefathers have done us a favor. They've broken it down by chapter and verse so that we can find the various different citations that are important to our debate or our, our understanding of what he's trying to say to us. But in the epistle of Romans, both of the first two chapters tell us that the truth of God is written on every human heart. I'm going to say that again. The truth of God is written on every human heart. That's a direct quotation from St. Paul. And then he goes on and he says, that all are without excuse. So it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or a Buddhist or a Baptist or an Anglican or an atheist or an agnostic. It doesn't matter. The truth of God is written on every human heart, and all are without excuse. So when you, when you realize that and acknowledge that fact, that we all have a moral compass, a conscience, whether we are Christian or not, it really does change the conversation. This fact that I'm talking about right now, that all are without excuse, and that the truth of God is written on every human heart, and that we all have a moral compass, a conscience, whether you're Christian or not, is very important. And this fact is born out of our own experience as we see innumerable non-religious people do good simply because it's the right thing to do. Paul, however, goes on and says this, that because of our stubbornness, whereby we seem to constantly seek 
to set the terms for our conscience rather than accept the rules and boundaries that are dictated by God, uh, we, we screw things up. We're the ones who ignore this gift that God has given to us, the thumbprint of moral awareness of his law on our heart, mind, and soul. We're the ones who screw it up because we're constantly trying to reverse the terms for this conscience. We'd rather have it defined by our rules and boundaries rather than God's. And therefore, Paul tells us in Romans 1 that we are given over to a reprobate mind. Some translations say a debauched mind, a broken mind. We can't think any longer. We can't, we can't even argue our way out of a paper bag because we're given over to a reprobate mind because we're ignoring the conscience that God has given to us and we're trying to deconstruct it and then reconstruct it so it's more of a conscience in our own image rather than the image of God. So here, here, here's a summary to what I'm trying to say right now. In other words, we have the intuitive awareness that rules and laws need to exist. That is, we do have a conscience. But on the other hand, all of us want to be as God, Genesis 3, and be in charge of the rules, define those rules, rather than accept the ones that are given to us by our Creator. Does that make sense? So, frankly, this rebellion of trying to be as gods, uh, this replay of Genesis 3 over and over and over again throughout the course of human history, it's being played out in spades right now in the lunacy of our federal government. The White House, Congress, and even our courts want to be as God, and therefore they ignore the self-evident truths that they have been given over. They ignore the fact that these self-evident truths exist and that they, the Congress, the courts, human beings, have been given over to a reprobate mind. They're literally crazy in their arrogance, and they have a conscience, yes, but it has been corrupted by their hubris exaggerated pride and self-confidence, rather than refined and tempered by humility. The indignation that we're talking about right now is without any anchor point if there is no God to refer to when you express indignation. People are angry about injustice, but they're unwilling to admit that the very concept of justice is meaningless unless it's endowed to us by an ultimate judge with a capital J, our creator, that justice isn't created by us, but it's given to us, defined to us by God. And as we struggle for power, we've got to recognize that human power is very dangerous. It's only God's principles, the capital P, that are going to provide us with any sense of personal freedom and dignity. So in other words, when you're given over to this reprobate mind, as I would argue much of our culture is, from Washington, D.C. to San Francisco to your own local schools, you're delusional. Because you're basically in a quest for your own God-like status. And as you pursue that ultimate original sin, everything gets more and more broken on a daily basis. I hope that makes some sense to you. So let's move on to the third component of this person's question. And here's his quote again. If everyone possesses it, i.e. a conscience, why does anyone exhibit bad behavior? So essentially, I'm going to paraphrase his question. Uh, if, if we both agree that everyone has a conscience, then why do we have so much junk going on in our culture, in our lives? Why is there so much bad behavior? Why don't we live up to that conscience, that sense of natural law, that common understanding that theft is, theft is wrong, or rape is bad, the Holocaust was evil, and antebellum slavery wasn't a good deal? 
why do we continue to break these rules? Well, I've talked about it before. It all comes down to the concept of sin. So as I've just said earlier in the show, I, I personally believe that there is irrefutable evidence that we are moral beings and that everyone has a conscience, as well as a general understanding of what's right and wrong. Again, cows don't have this. Animals don't have this sense of moral awareness and moral culpability. Human beings do. That's why you see the left arguing for justice, for um, equity, for inclusion, for affirmation, for tolerance. All of their stated agendas and goals of the critical race theorists and everybody on the left actually are arguments for for morality. They say that they believe in moral neutrality, but they really don't. Their entire agenda would collapse like a house of cards if they denied that there was some moral standard that was being compromised, and therefore it justifies their indignation against that compromise. So really, we're both agreeing, the left and the right agree, that there are certain self-evident truths that are endowed to us by our Creator. There is common sense, sense that's common. There are natural laws by the giver of nature, the creator of nature, God himself. But the problem here is the left wants to deny the source of those rules and pretend that they are a higher source, a higher judge, if you will, than the intelligent person, God himself, that revealed those things to us and imprinted them on our heart, mind, and soul. So there's irrefutable evidence of everything I just said. Because anybody that wants to argue against me right now, who's listening to the show and saying, well, I disagree. I'm indignant that you would argue that, that there's an objective moral standard. You're sawing off the branch upon which you said it's this age-old fallacy of the left. That's why they keep saying stupid things like, I can't tolerate your intolerance. I hate you hateful people. I'm sure that nothing is sure. I know nothing can be known. I'm absolutely confident there are no absolutes. And now they'll say, there is no moral objective truth. Moral objectivity does not exist. Well, how do you know? Because you just stated an absolute moral objective. You just grounded your argument in the very thing that you're denying. It makes no sense. So, bottom line, if you believe there is a right and wrong, and everybody does, as C.S. Lewis argues, and as history proves, in fact, G.K. Chesterton said there's no more provable aspect of all of Christianity than the original sin. We all turn on the nightly news, we all read our newspaper, we all listen to a podcast, we all listen to the radio, and we get indignant over some of the injustices that we see out there. On the right, we get indignant because you're trying to take away our personal freedom. On the left, you get indignant because you think uh, the climate is being compromised by the selfishness of the right. We're both agreeing that there's an objective standard that's been compromised. Well, where did it come from? So our propensity to be offended and to therefore feel righteously indignant or get angry proves the point. We all intrinsically know the moral boundaries are there. None of us like it when the boundaries are crossed and we become victims of the people that cross them. That's true on the right and left. It doesn't matter. So if we are moral beings, why do we all act immorally? Why do bad things happen? And why do we, moral human beings, behave badly and do bad things? We, why do we cross the boundaries, in other words? Well, here it is. 
I think it all boils down to freedom. Freedom. God created us in his image. And this, by definition, means that we are free. God is free. He created us in his image. We are free. We are free to act as moral beings. In the image of God, as God acts freely, he created us with the same freedoms. We are not like a rock or a chemical compound or a pig or a mule for that matter. We are not the sum total of chemical reactions. Human beings function at a higher level than than mere animal instinct. And this is one of my one-string banjos. This is the problem I have with identity politics. This is the grand lie of LGBTQIA, that we've dumbed down the human being to nothing but the animal, that we define ourselves by our desires, that our identity is nothing more than our animal instinct. That's a lie. That's an insult to every human being. The Christian worldview, the biblical worldview, elevates the human being to the highest compliment in human history because it says, no, you're not governed by chemical reactions. You're not governed by your biology. You are governed by your being, and your being is grounded in the Imago Dei. You're made in the image of God, and one of the primary components of that image is freedom. Freedom. You don't have to give in to the inclination, the instinct, the passion, the proclivities. Your libido doesn't have to define you. You can be defined by something higher and more grand and beautiful than that. Ultimately, within the gospel, you can be defined by your Lord. That you're a new creation in Christ. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. That when you're baptized, you die to yourself when you're immersed in the water. And when you rise up out of the water, you're born again. You're not just born that way. You're a new creation in Christ. So, bottom line, human beings function at a higher level than animals do. We can choose to do something or not to do it. We have an intuitive understanding of the moral ramifications of our choices. We're not robots. We're not automatons. We're not a mindless bacteria. We are not amoral animals. We are created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. And as such, we have freedom. We wouldn't be created in his image if we didn't have that. But, but this freedom, by definition, comes with what? The potential of choosing to do things that are wrong versus things that are right. Okay, if you couldn't do wrong, then you would never understand what is right. You have to have the law of opposites to even understand what we're talking about. There is no day if you don't understand night. You don't understand what's dry if you don't acknowledge what is wet. The law of opposites here. It's back to what I said in an earlier show. Thirst was made for water and hunger was made for truth. And moral indignation was made for the quest for the absolute standard of morality. Okay? And whether you like to admit it or not, one of the most proven facts of all of human history, we are all at one time or another going to choose what's wrong. All I have to do is turn on the nightly news to see the proof of human sin. Again, G.K. Chesterton said this about 100 years ago. And if you don't see it in the news, if you don't see what's wrong with human beings, the brokenness, the evidence of original sin, then I've got news for you. All you need to do is go look in the mirror. That's where you'll see it. To quote the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, who was an ultimate, the consummate philosopher, by the way, all have sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He says that in Romans 3.23. And the question here is why? 
Why are we all guilty of falling short? Why? Well, the best answer I can give is that we all are guilty of the original sin that took place in the garden. This is what the Bible tells us. We all want to be as God. We all want to be in charge, to be the ultimate measure of what is right and what is wrong. We all want to justify our indignation because we all feel it. But when all the evidence is in, it seems pretty clear to me that there is indeed, there is indeed, there are indeed none righteous, no, not one, to quote St. Paul again. Nobody is righteous. You're not, and I'm not. There are none righteous, no, not one. And this is why I have to turn back to the only standard of righteousness to justify my righteous indignation. And I would argue you have no basis to be indignant either without turning back to a measuring rod that's outside of those things being measured because you can do no measuring unless that thing, that ultimate common sense, that ultimate standard of what's right and wrong, that ultimate natural law, that ultimate in goodness, that ultimate moral standard, that measuring rod outside of those things being measured is what? Jesus Christ himself, the word made flesh and dwelling among us, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, the second person of the triune God, the creator of all, the God that gave us common sense and sense that's common, the God that gave us nature and natural law, the God, Jesus himself, who reveals the truth of God and the truth of himself, the truth of Christ to us, is the only basis for being indignant about anything. And we have to confess to him rather than supplant him. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.